I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong. Where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Well, hey, hey, I missed you. Do you miss me? I, I really do miss you. I know I've, you know, been away for a little while, but I'm here now. We're ending the month. And so I'm here, Buttercup. Buckle up, Buttercup. Actually, no, I do want to say buckle up, Buttercup, because... I think this is going to be one of the most vulnerable sessions to date. I am talking about some things today that I tend to dance around publicly. And to be for real with you, I'm actually still processing my thoughts and my feelings. Yet, I realize that I actually put off conversations like this and I have for years because my thoughts and feelings have continued to change. But it's really a part of life. I also know that what I'm talking about today is something that I've actually or will actually process for the rest of my life. I think the best way to get this conversation started is to say something like what I'm about to say, which is I never wanted the first gen lounge to be a black platform. What? Did she just say that? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, from the jump, I was very intentional about putting my identity as first gen first because I wanted to create a space, you know, a place for people of all first gen backgrounds. I've had the tendency to be very subtle talking about things related to race and gender out of fear. Like, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be rejected. And I don't want to be looked at or had want to be looked at as another black fill in the blank. Uh, but with those things said, look, now that I've got your attention, I want to take a few steps back and dig into some background. It's been over the past few months that I've really been dissecting, reflecting, learning and unlearning and most importantly, coming to make meaning for myself of what it means to be black first gen, a woman, and someone from a low SES background. You know, there are times when I've actually looked at people who are part of different cultures than my own, especially those who are also first generation American and college graduates. And I just always see the sense of pride and heritage, right? Like, dang, there's so much celebration. And I know I'm this and I'm that and represent this and such and such love. But yet I have fought myself to proudly be somebody in some of the margins. Um, and those margins being more particularly like race and gender, you know, being black and being a woman. And I feel like a lot of that has had to do with the way that I believe that I've been conditioned about race and gender and then having a really heightened sense of sensitivity to being black and a woman living in America. When I think about all the things that are going on in the world around me, I have found myself to be uncomfortable a lot of times because of where I live, you know, to be in this free country and to yet understand that 
things are still happening that are, are seemingly unbecoming of what it means to be an American. And then to be someone who's Black, not necessarily African-American, I identify as Black and mostly because I did not come from Africa, although I did, but I don't know those roots. And I'm guessing the DNA and me and 21 match and all that stuff, I could you know, do some tracing. But again, I, identifying and I navigating identity for me has been a very complex thing. I don't recall actually being raised to think a lot about my race, gender, or even my social class. As a matter of fact, I was raised to like, in my opinion, to be just a good human. And I speak a lot about my grandfather because he had a really significant, you know, role in my life. But he was somebody who pushed me to education. And he, as an older black man, was actually somebody who always told me that I needed to create my own success and to not depend on a man ever. Which I'm like, looking back, I'm like, that is so crazy because he's like old school, like born in the 30s old school. And for him to be empowering me, a young black woman, in that way was really significant. And even while I was a little girl, though, he and I, we went fishing together. We rode lawnmowers together. He taught me how to drive. And we would even do stuff like clean rabbits at the table in the backyard so we can have it for supper. So, you know, he treated me like a human being. Not a little girl, a little boy, just his his grandbaby, right? I was also raised by a single mother whose strength I'd come to admire over the years. So knowing that I could be independent and seeing that model by my mother who was absolutely a strong black woman for me it was a no-brainer that I would be tough too but as a teenager I couldn't have articulated that and I guess that's why as an adult I look back and realize there are a lot of behaviors that we learn and we and we replicate because my mom didn't have time for tears and all this mess and you know these emotions she was about handling her business taking care of her family doing what she needed to do so kind of moving forward you know when I Went off to college, I was actually fortunate enough to attend an HBCU, which is a historically black college university. Um, you may or may not know this, but North Carolina is home to the most HBCUs in the country. So put on North Carolina, go Tar Heels. That's for the whole state, not just UNC. But I can recall when I was in high school that many of us were black and actually encouraged to go to HBCUs. And again, when I look back, I can totally understand that being because a number of educators that I'd experienced in my time in K-12 education, these individuals were HBCU educated. And while I was in high school, though, I had a very diverse class of individuals that I was around, like not just class, social class, but people from all backgrounds and walks of life. So being in a space that was culturally, socially, economically diverse, it was just nothing new to me. It was actually a really, really great experience. I never really gave a lot of thought to being in the margin or any margins for that matter. Like I was my classmates and we had differences and several of us worked and, you know, some people did and some people drove Acuras to school. Some people drove beat up Honda Accords, but whatever, like we were all together in this thing and IBAP kids and at one of the best high schools in the country. So what, you know, we all together on this. And although I do know there were a significant amount of black people at my institution or then at my school, it still wasn't something I thought of as anything special. So yeah, so again, fast forwarding, uh, while I went to an HBCU, I didn't think much of being black or a woman. Although there was this one time that I had a situation and I thought about this a couple of years ago when I had cut my hair off the very first time and I was rocking this fro and I decided I was finally gonna get my locks because my goal with cutting my hair was always been to get locks. 
actually have to be doing an internship that summer. And I was told by my supervisor, who was an older black man, that I actually needed to change my hair because the way I was planning to wear it wasn't going to work for corporate settings. And thinking that he knew better than myself, I relaxed my hair and went back to my little, you know, short Marcel curled hairstyle. And again, just didn't think a whole lot of it. But now kind of being back, you know, to first gen and what you'll see throughout this particular, you know, session or what you'll, what you'll understand is that a lot of what I'm speaking of is more of my blackness than my first gen is, but the two I can't separate. So anyway, well, back to being first gen though, I knew I was the first person in my family to go to college, especially going to this HBCU and all, but I did not know at the time that I was first generation and being at an institution with so many first gens, my experiences were common to my peers. So I never felt out of place or inadequate or like anything was different about me. And I think that was something that helped make my HBCU experience so awesome as well, that I could be around a group of amazing black people, people of color, just period, black faculty, administrators and staff, and just not feel like there was anything wrong with me. Like I you're great. You're an awesome student. I was an honors college student. I was a presidential scholar. So, hey. And by the way, if y'all didn't know, HBCUs have a number of first-gen students. But again, thinking about being Black Americans and education and access, you know, it actually does kind of make sense. So, anywho, as I got older, I started to find myself in different spaces academically and professionally. And I know that's when things with gender and race really took off for me. It wasn't until for real that I graduated and had moved away. I had gone, you know, further south for school and I got into graduate school. And at this point, I was going to a predominantly white institution. I found myself learning that gender and race are factors. And I had never felt it in a way that I felt it like I did when I became a quote grown up, when I was on my own and again navigating graduate school and in my career. The downside is that at the point of realizing that race and gender mattered, because again, growing up, it didn't matter. And even when I was in high school, I was a girl, but I played football and, you know, I've got a CDL. So it's things that, you know, are typically gender stereotypical that I've been able to do. So, hey, whatever. But again, the problem for me was that when I started to learn that there were things with race and gender, most of those things became negative. And what I started to feel like I was being exposed to, even through stuff like research, all I could see was the disadvantage. But then also I started to have the lived experiences of being disadvantaged, just being a grown up. So to be black, to be a woman, to be again from a low CS background per society, and not just, huh, let me let, go, let me go back. Not just from a low CS background, but to have had a single parent. From that societal perspective, I was bound to be like a failure. Like statistics, the odds were against me to be, quote, successful, whatever successful looks like, right? But I don't think that it helped much, you know, during my early adult years either that even in my professional journey, I rarely looked to people or saw people, Black and especially Black women, that were in my immediate environment that were doing things that I wanted to do at the time. So... It's interesting to see how our experiences in our life can shape us one way until something happens. Because all until I had graduated from college, this race and gender thing wasn't a big deal. And I graduated and finally stepped into, quote, the real world. And I feel it because even my job through college was, you know, working with all black staff. 
And though I worked at a deli when I was in high school and I had, you know, a few other jobs, majority of the people were black. And again, I was treated as an employee. I never felt like I was treated as a woman or a black woman. I was an employee because I worked with a lot of people of color. So you'd be like, well, you told me all that. So what happened? Why you want to talk about being black now and why black things matter? Why didn't you want to talk about being black? I've had several things to happen and it has been over the years, but I've been more aware of um, over several months, actually a couple of years, more aware of that. Actually, I'll put it that way. Here's one thing. A few months ago, I was afforded an opportunity to join a group of game-changing Black professionals whose primary reason for existing is to put conversations about Black first gens on the table. Now, while I had a hunch about it before, it was the first time that I was absolutely sure that there is literally nothing, nothing at all written about first Black first-gen students in research, okay? Like, can you believe that we weren't able to identify but maybe one article for Black first-generation college students? And while there are several things about being first-gen, nothing about being specifically Black and first-gen. And that, like, was a thing that blew my mind because here I am, even with this platform and this podcast and doing this work and, you know, connecting with folks and kind of seeing things and looking at literature and making references. And again, it's just like, dang, there's something for black first gens. But wait a minute. I'm a black first gen. I'm a black, I'm a black first gen. But even then I wasn't, you know, calling myself black first gen. I mean, I still don't want to necessarily say it. I'm black first gen, but let's be for real. I'm black and first gen. Uh, and so that's one thing that happened. I said, okay, cool. So who's going to do something about this? And I think that's the question at hand. Who's going to have these conversations? Who's going to do this work? Who's going to help change and influence higher education in a way that continues to be supportive of students, not only of color, but who are Black, but of also this first-generation identity? Because what I know through my life's experiences, and I've said it a few times you know, thus far, is I'm Black, I'm a woman, I'm first-generation, I'm from a Lois background. Those are just a few things that make up the intersections of who I am and, and what I am. And I can't dissect those things. They work together to make me who I am, right? And so thinking of that, I, I had my first bit of curiosity, like, man, I should really give this, this Black first gen thing a little more attention, a little more attention because I know that it matters. But then it moved into something else that happened back a couple of months ago. My life partner had a birthday celebration and a part of his goal for his celebration was to support black businesses when we had gone down to Atlanta. Now, in the midst of him explaining to someone his rationale for doing this particular thing the way he did, I overheard him mention that he was pretty much compelled to support black owned businesses, especially since his wife was an entrepreneur and a black owned business, like who had a black owned business. And he understood the need for support and was doing for others what he'd hoped that people would do for me. Listen got me, got me all the way together. And I remember just kind of sitting with that thinking, damn, that really means something because the impact and the financial impact that me having a business and being black means in my house has even shaped the way both of us have felt about approaching black businesses and wanting to work with black businesses or at least being supportive of black businesses. And that's not saying that I'm one of those people who's jumped on a, you know, only support the black businesses and put money back into the black economy kind of people. But I do understand the importance 
And I would want to say even the vitality of investing in black businesses and being able to empower other black business owners through patronizing their businesses because I feel it. And so I can even say that I know the most significant influence of me feeling and seeing and understanding my blackness and my womanness has definitely been being a small business owner. And I've noticed over the past two years or so, unlike sometimes before, I have taken a greater interest in supporting black people, women, and again, especially black women because of the things that I've gone through and that I'm going through. I find myself more empathetic and more patient because I get the process of becoming and of being sisters and then being a community, like all of that. And if I can just be real candid, hoping I can be real candid, I can be real candid, cool. I have had and did have so much anxiety about being a black business, you know, because it's like, here are the challenges that are stereotypical with professionalism and customer service and people trying to get the homie discount, like for real. When I published my first book, how many people hit me up and was like, yeah, where my book at? Why should I be expected to give you my book? This is a product. And I put in the work and the effort and it is something that is helping my business. Why not just hit me up and buy the books? Or I even had, you know, another person to request a large amount of books for me, you know, apparently looking out supporting and then ended up not even buying the books. And I had to go through the process of ordering the books, getting the books to the house, signing all the books, doing the labor. And then it was like at last minute, oh, nothing. And I didn't even get anything like back, like no, no love shown or any of that. Right. But anyway, and then, all, I mean, costing too much. Why sometimes do people look at black owned businesses and be like, oh, they cost too much. If they say that's what their worth is, that's what their worth is. And we as people of color, especially black people, one have to already sometimes fight through some of the things of knowing our worth, but then to know our worth and then to have the criticism of people who are trying to invest because they're looking for the hookup or trying to find something for cheap. Like, that's not fair. That's not fair. Like, would you do that to people of other backgrounds and people know that, you know, why do we look at some businesses of people from other colors and think that they are more valuable than black businesses are and research even shows that it suggests that like you know we that we as black people can do that and i'm speaking from black because i'm black right and then there's another part of it that's the funding so to have all these challenges where i'm getting my money from getting funding you know we know that black people are less likely to get funding and most of their funding comes to support like the literature the data is out there and here i am with all these thoughts in, in my mind, especially when I was thinking about the fact that, well, Eve, you can't change the fact that you're black. <laughs> you can't change the fact that you're woman and people can look at you and baby, that's going to be obvious. So I've had to not only find resolves for myself being a black woman entrepreneur and working with people who are not black. And what I mean by that is how to show up as my professional self, how to not, you know, feel like, I'm an imposter even as a first gen, but an imposter as an entrepreneur, but also to know that I'm delivering a good quality product or service to individuals. And I'm gonna go ahead and call myself out. My very first publication was not my best. I rushed that bad boy. Yes, I did. But looking back, I would definitely fix that because again, you know, you wanna put your best out there and you want to be able to be, be patronized. You want people to support what you have going on and be invested in it, right? And so, again, with working with with others, you know, non-blacks to be able to seen as credible even 
and to not have that impression of again another black such and such and something else is bound to fail and that's some of the messaging that we can get sometimes as black people especially as black entrepreneurs but then i say to have to find resolves working with non-black people but then trying to make sense and find peace and work with my own people and fighting with the crabs in the barrel mentality and you know, sometimes that I'm trying to get ahead, but people don't want to support. They don't want to buy it. They don't want to tell. They don't want to share. For whatever reason, I don't know. But it also says, like, damn, I can't win out here. I just can't win. And I know that through the years and through navigating some of my experiences and making sense of all things, it has definitely been, again, a process of becoming, a process of understanding and, and positioning and repositioning and finding my tribe and understanding what I believe and how to do things good, better, best. It's just interesting. Again, I told you I'm processing and I'm and I'm I am where I am now and expressing this openly because I know there's somebody else out there who may be you, you know, who's feeling how I'm feeling about blackness and womanness and first genness and all these things of who you are and making sense of it. But yeah, but moving forward and talking about being black and black business ownership, I watched a documentary. She did that on Netflix recently. And let me tell you, I came to tears. I wanted to throw my shoe across the room. I clapped. I ate mad. I stood at the TV a few times. I may have even gotten whiplash from nodding my head so much. And what got me is that I've had this conversation about being a black woman entrepreneur so many times. And here comes this documentary. And what it's saying widely to the world is that this is what we're dealing with. And this is for real. And what it said to me is, sis, you ain't tripping. We going through it too. We've been through it too. You're going to be all right. You know, but I was validated and what I was thinking and the, some of the experiences that I've had. But then after that, I'm like, I'm good, right? Because black women, we keep rising. And the other thing that happened, you know, because again, the things that have caused a change for me have been experiences and me thinking about my blackness and embracing my blackness and, and not running from it or being afraid of it. I had an event a few months ago and I reached out to a few folks for financial support. Now, granted, everybody I reached out to that I can recall was black. However, of those who responded without question or hesitation, all but one person who stepped up to help me were black women. Now, for people who say black women don't show love, black women can't get along, black women catty, uh, I have to dispel that myth like nobody's business because black women are queens and have literally been the foundation of my success as a small business owner. Let me take it a step further and tell you why I say that even more. I noticed, because I went back to pull the numbers, that 98% of the people that have hired me for speaking engagements over the past three and a half years have been Black women. Hmm. So when there have been times that I'm like, I don't feel like I'm seen, or I feel like people are not showing me love, or people are not showing up, there have been Black women who've been like, sis. Now, I didn't say everybody was Black, but 98% is a pretty high percentage to say, sis, I see you. I appreciate what you're doing. I want to work with you. I want to take care of you. Keep it moving. And not all of these Black women have I known. So you can't say it's just limited to my circle. Not at all. I have met so many Black women in the time that I have been on my own that we've just come together and it has been a genuine sense of I'm here to help you and I want to see you win. So that's also been a part of my thought process 
and and my changing of why I want to talk about being black and why I even have felt guilt about not having fully embrace this blackness because of that again that fear which we'll talk about a little bit more and so I guess again that's why it's ironic that I mentioned earlier that I never wanted the first gen lounge to be black and (laughs) yet every time you know I think about it and looking back on the past almost two years that the first gen lounge has been in existence I realized that one the number of people that I've met who are Black, have not known that they were Black first gen, has been fascinating. So there's a lot of education that still has to happen within the Black community about first gen. It's because people are struggling and going through things and they Black first gen and they just think that this is normal. But I'm like, it's not. Well, it's normal for us, but there's a better way. And let me help you with that. Let me help you navigate this thing called life because I know that you recognize you were the first to go to college. Like, I mean, for example, how many people have I talked to say, oh, yeah, are you black first gen? I was like, oh, no, my grandma went to college. Or, oh, no, my brother went to college. I'm like, no, being, you know, a first gen is contingent on these parameters. If neither of your parents have a four year degree and you do, you pursued one, your first generation. And oh, my gosh, how the light bulb goes on. And then number two, thinking about the podcast. The number of guests who've been on the show, that was not intentional. And I've had people to actually just pitch themselves. And I have worked through my tribe. And so I guess it even goes to show that there are a number of people in my tribe who are people of color, who are black people getting recommendations. Or if I just put it out there, hey, you want to be on this podcast and people come through. But in the beginning, I would have never said I'm going to have five white, you know, five black necks, five, you know, Arabic, five black. I've just, who's trying to be on this show? Who want to tell their story? And people have naturally gravitated toward the show. And I do believe some part of that has to do with the fact that I am black and being able to see me as a black woman, a black woman who's first gen and be able to identify, but also to be exposed in, you know, different circles of influence where there's just, they're black people. And a few years ago, the Black Alumni Ball, I had actually gotten an award for them. And I was so grateful that as a Black person, there was something positive and something exciting and rooted in Blackness and that was being put out there. But again, there are people who are doing amazing things in Black spaces and in in Black situations and it's being able to say it's not all bad. And I know that it's not all bad. I've known that. But even in thinking about the guests that come on to the show, people that I've met, a lot of it has to do with just where I guess I'm showing up and who I'm around and what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean, <laughs> kind of reminds me of HBCUs, it doesn't mean that just because you see Black that it's not for everybody. You know, it's for everybody. It definitely is. And then the third thing about the First Gen Lounge, again, in spite of the fact that I was like, yo, I don't want this to be Black. The vibe, period. When you listen to the show, you very well hear these tracks in the background and it's a whole mood. But it's who I am naturally. So when honoring who I am naturally is just a black vibe. And I was like, yo, you gonna have to get yourself together because I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. I felt the conviction that if I'm preaching, be who you need. And if I'm truly living to inspire others, am I contradicting what I'm preaching if I'm not fully acknowledging all of who I am? Or even better of that, when I say not fully acknowledging, not straight up saying black this, woman that, black woman this. Like, that's cool if I say that. It's okay. You know, 
And if the work that I'm doing is giving a marginalized group of people something to believe in, if it's helping a marginalized group of people grow and be better and overcome. So if what I'm doing out here is really making a difference and it's changing lives and it's positive, why in the world would I hide behind fear when it's obvious on so many levels that there is work that needs to be done? And y'all, I've really been getting like on myself because I'm like, yo, this is crazy that you feel this way. What's making you feel this way? Is it society? Is it, you know, getting all the statistics that you're saying? Is it the, you know, the redlining? What is it? And I'm like, no, but people can't get better, do better if they don't know better. And if somebody knows better and can tell you better or help you be better, why not? Why not? Somebody help me. And the greatest conviction was that I am doing Blacks, women, and Black first years a, a disservice by not embracing the intersections of who I am because I just can't change these things. I said it before, I can't change these things. I have to lean into it. And that doesn't mean that I'm gonna be out here wearing dashikis and throwing up the fist, but that does mean that I very well have a greater sense of responsibility because when you realize that people need help and people who, I mean, we have a tendency to look to people who look like us. Let's just be for real. We can be inspired by any and everybody, but there's something like being able to look to somebody who's been through what you've been through and understands your life's path. I'll be for real about that. And for me, it was also feeling like, well, you know, at the end of the day, I can't even liberate and empower folks who look like me and come from where I come from if I'm not doing it for myself. And I believe that I can't tell you in anything or tell you anything that I can't fully live or that I can't be or that I'm not doing. Like it's important, right? Uh, at least I think it's important. And so all of this to say, cause you're like, oh, you done had your awakening, girl, you there. I was just so scared of being black, blackity black. <laughs> I was scared that I wouldn't be good enough for my own people and they wouldn't invest in me because I don't have a large following on social media. I ain't famous. I don't have, you know, a certain amount of money and I ain't go to an HBCU and my waist and my, you know, butt want to start all this blah, 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 blah. Because sometimes within, I feel my black culture, we can be critical. And, you know, if you ain't famous, I got a name, I got a brand, and you ain't somebody big, sometimes we ain't trying to invest a, a fool with people. Sometimes, no, as I said, sometimes, not all the time. And then I was just scared that to own my black assness that I wouldn't have the support and the interest of people who were not black for this platform for anything else that I do. But it's like, well, regardless if I felt like that or not, they still, again, they still gonna look at me and see that I'm black. And it's, and it's just what it is. So there's no getting away from being black. There's no getting away from me being a black woman. So it's almost like one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of moments. And in my head, which I feel like, you know, talking to other black women entrepreneurs and other black entrepreneurs, period. These are conversations that we have in ourselves, but not out loud because one, I mean, the criticism of the judgment or the understanding of, you know, where where we belong and what to do and what not to do and what rules to follow. Do you follow black rules? Do you follow non-black rules? You know, how do you go out here and get it? How do you not hate another, another sister? I am very well a speaker. 
And I have had it before where I could not make it to an engagement that somebody called me for. And I reached out to somebody else who I knew was a speaker and was like, yo, can you do this? Because I understand the importance of being able to pull other people up. But I also know that I'm not going to allow myself to be used either. And so navigating what's enough and what's too little. Am I being too white? Am I being too, you know, too different? Am I relatable? Am I too black? It is a genuine challenge to navigate all these things and then to show up and present and to be this best version of yourself, knowing that the version of who you are continues to change. And I don't, that's not a bad thing at all, because every day we are changing and we are becoming because we are exposed and because we are giving perspectives and because we are learning. But I know one thing. I don't have to be scared or unapologetic because it is what it is. I'm black and I'm a woman and I was created this way for a reason. And just because I'm a black woman, it doesn't mean that it takes away from anything that I am or it takes away from anything that I can do, honestly. So rather than have all these negative associations with being black and being a woman and first gen and lowest yes, I see these things as a strength and I recognize that every opportunity for me is a chance to represent and present excellence to the world based on these margins. <laughs> like, I have the capacity to reshape the narrative of what Blacks and women and first gen look like each and every day. So rather than being scared and being sensitive about stepping on toes or making people uncomfortable because I'm talking about Black first gens and Black first gen history makers for 29 days, that's okay. That's okay. Like, I know that I'm not for everybody and I'm not for everybody non-Black or Black. And that's just the reality. And that's the reality for you who is listening to this. You're not for everybody. So no matter what margin you fall into, you can keep trying to dip and dodge and figure out how to, you know, fit and make things, you know, work to be comfortable. But you ain't for everybody. And that's cool. And, you know, I continue to learn from my experiences and take the knowledge that I'm getting to be able to mentor other people on their journeys. If I can help improve your life and your experiences, why not? And there's no shame. And if I'm going to have an event to say, this is for black women, black women, I see you, black man, I see you, black love, I'm, I'm for you. That does not make me a bad person, does not make me racist. It does not make me thoughtful. You know, and as I alluded to earlier, the celebration of my blackness doesn't mean that I'm excluding other people. It doesn't mean I can't appreciate and, and even celebrate other vast walks of life and experiences and come to know what other people, why can other people from other, other cultures have such celebration and be so happy of their black? And I've got to struggle with mine because, oh, don't do that. Be safe. Don't, don't be too black. That's not going to work in the workplace. Don't be too sister. That's not going to go over well in this particular environment. And what society has taught us and even some of the you know, experiences of even older black folks because of what they have been through and passing some of these traditions down. Got to break the generational curses so that we can live and exist. Because who am I to be black, to be tatted, to have his nose ring, to have no hair? <laughs> so against the grain. So everything that I'm not supposed to be, right? But I'm everything that I'm supposed to be. And I know that. And even as I talk about my blackness and I'm having this conversation, I know that it's a lot of work to be done in the black community. And my choosing to place a little more emphasis on Black initiatives 
doesn't mean that I'm not concerned with the world as a whole. It doesn't mean that I don't care about non-Black issues or, or issues that just affect the human race. It simply means that I recognize a gap that needs to be filled, the need that requires services, and I understand my responsibility in serving. I understand my responsibility in serving. I can think of the many times that somebody who was older and white told me something about who I was as a little black girl. What I process about that thing, about who I was and what I will become compared to an older black woman who said something, who'd lived the experience. It's one thing to share knowledge and it be valid knowledge, but it, it just hits different when it's coming from somebody with who you share an experience. And that's not to say people from different racial backgrounds or shared experience. If me and you have both been sexually abused, doesn't matter your color, your skin, we share the experience, I can listen. If you and I both come a single parent home, it doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter, you know, where you lived in the, in the country. We can relate, we have a shared experience. So it's shared experiences. But even from a racial perspective that I'm understanding and from the role of, of gender I'm understanding, there are some things that just hit different when it comes to somebody who you can relate to on many levels. It just takes the understanding deeper. I feel like, <laughs> am I hiring me? I feel like I finally completed the five stages of, of Cross's racial identity theory. <laughs> or rather, if you haven't heard it before, I've gone through the process of becoming Black. I don't think that my process of becoming Black is something that, you know, is, I mean, it's not just today. It's not a, a yesterday, last month. It's an ever ongoing thing, you know, for me. And for many people, be it that you're a woman, that you are Black, Black, Black man, Latinx, Asian, people of color. Hello. It's a process. Social class. What does it mean? And I know the first gen thing places emphasis because of the educational component and being able to go places that academically, you know, opportunities have been created for that people from where we're from haven't been able to go before and trying to get there and make sense of these places and these things and who we are. It can be daunting task, but I understand. I get it and I get you. But nonetheless, you know, all of these things that I've said to say this, I am who I am, who I am for, so will I be. I am who I am and who I am for, so will I be. If my vibe is cultural, and people tune into the show and they don't like it. They don't want to hire me because I'm not a good fit or they're not interested in the product because it doesn't fit that group or, or whatever. I'm actually okay with that. There are how many billions of people in the world? I'm for somebody. And looking at the success of the podcast because of you and all the First Gen Lounge family, I know that the work matters across board for individuals and even that is affirming so thank you for continuing to show up and affirming the work that I'm doing regardless of the color of my skin or my gender or where I come from because even in me not striving to make the first gen lounge black right to be able to appeal to all people is the goal because what connects us what connects us you who are listening to this show is the fact that we are first gen 
And that's what I've wanted more than anything, to be able to connect the people across races. But I should have never had to think that I couldn't celebrate my own. Then that's that's like, that's real for me, you know? But I'm glad that I'm in a place, a more mature place to understand that no matter what I do, I again, I am who I am. And what opportunities present themselves for me, they just will. And the same thing goes for you. I'm going to say it again because I really like it. I am who I am. And who I am for, so will I be. And I don't have any strategies for you today. No tips or not really tips, but you know, a message that I want to leave you with, which I'm hoping that you've embraced throughout this show. And it is this. If I can leave you with anything, especially if you're trying to make sense of who you are and are figuring out your place in this world, I want you to know that the very thing that you may be fighting about yourself is very likely to be the thing that is pushing you into your greatness. And the very thing that is making you uncomfortable is probably exactly what you need to level up. So stop running from what and who you are supposed to be. Identity is ever evolving. And with the more you're exposed to, the more you learn about yourself. So at any given moment, don't apologize for being who you are. Don't feel bad for what you believe. Don't don't run or don't think that you owe anybody, that you're any less or any more even than other people because of your circumstance. Just be the best version of yourself that you can be because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Until the meantime, until the meantime, in the meantime, ha ha ha. Please know that I love you and I'm grateful for you being in this space. I'm grateful for you being a part of the First Gen Lounge family, for being a part of this First Gen community because regardless of where we come from, we first gen out here and we have to help each other because who else will? All right, I'm out. Peace. <laughs>